Welcome to the inaugural uh, podcast of uh, something I don't think we have a name for yet. Uh, basically, going to be me, Chris and Aaron, uh, three members of Parasynthian. Uh, Chris and Aaron are going to explain to me why prog music does not fucking suck. Uh, we're going to do one song per podcast here, and uh, it's going to be a little open-ended, but um, I think the way we're going to start this one is... I'm going to read lyrics to a prog song that Chris and Aaron have selected. Uh, I'm assuming I am totally unfamiliar with the song. I'm going to read these lyrics, uh, try probably not to laugh too hard, and uh, then I'm going to listen to the song, and then we are going to discuss. For now, we're not going to put the song on the podcast. We're just going to let them play um, so as to not have to worry about bothering anyone. Aaron and I would uh, would highly recommend that you purchase these songs, but we'll we'll recap in case Matt were to convince us that we're wrong and the things that we like are, are garbage. Um, but so yeah, uh, at, in a future date we might put pieces of songs in, but for now it'll just be the podcast related to the song, and we will edit in the name of the song. So Matt doesn't need to know this information right now. Um, actually, we have two songs on here. We may only do one. We may do two. This is just the beta test of this podcast. This is episode zero. All right, here you go. Here's the lyrics. This the pilot. The first, there's a there's a line blocking it off, and the second song there's some dashed lines because I didn't want to include the title of the song on your lyrics. So okay, so <clears throat> <laughs> the clouds prepare for battle in the dark and brooding silence. Bruised and sullen storm clouds have the light of day obscured, looming low and ominous in twilight premature. Thunderheads are rumbling in a distant overture. All at once. The clouds are parted, light streams down in bright, unbroken beams. Follow men's eyes as they look to the skies. The shifting shafts of shining weave the fabric of their dreams. All right, that's song number one. And I'm going to pause the podcast now so he can hear the song. And then we won't do any of our commenting on this part currently. Fuck you, that song. All right, we've just returned from having Matt listen to... Jacob's Ladder off of Permanent Waves by Rush from the early 80s, uh, with it replete with its beautiful 80s synth sounds, super high tech of, of two decades ago. And I think it's amusing that... <laughs> Three decades ago. I'm getting old. <laughs> Chris selected this first song for our first podcast, and it's amusing because he's well aware of my deep, deep hatred for all things Rush. Necessarily so. Uh, so this will be interesting to, to see if they're able to sway me in any way. <laughs> Uh, so since Chris picked the song, uh, I'm going to let him start, uh, by defending his prog selection. Uh, maybe you could tell us a little bit more about the song, what you know about it and, uh, you know, the band itself. Well, I'll let Aaron get into the analysis of the lyrics cause he's more of the Neil Peartian than I am. <laughs> but, uh, my position is that you're hearing three people doing kind of something amazing all at once, kind of on one recording. And, and the idea that they can pull that kind of stuff off live is just unthinkable the idea of playing music in this style live as a trio is just huge but i think you're hearing see i'm i'm tone obsessed and i'm and i'm melody obsessed and i think you're hearing pretty much a perfect bass tone you're hearing an amazing guitar tone especially for the times that kind of gear wasn't available to to make the modern types of tones that we use these days so they had to just you know do every every kitchen sink kind of thing to these amps to make them sound awesome and uh, so it's the timbres that I really dig on there and the organization of the tunes. Um, I'm obsessive with the drumming on the, on the recording. I think it's like perfect drumming for this style of music. You know, really precise and accurate and like 
you know, doesn't doesn't shift at all. It basically, it's all it's never there's not losing its focus at any point. Basically, it's really really tight. So that's kind of what I dig about it. But uh, but I would just say that's an example of like a perfect bass tone for me. It's a really cool arrangement. It, plenty of room for for each instrument to breathe. You have moments where um, like the the guitar and bass will chill out and let the drums take over. You have moments where the the uh, uh, everything drops out, and, and Getty, the bassist, is playing uh, the keyboards on this as well. You have moments where there's a typical guitar solo, and everybody else chills out. But it's just there's lots of space for every instrument to do its thing. So it's just a it's a huge conception, and it's really well uh, accomplished. That's my position on this. But go ahead, Aaron. What do you have to say on this tune? In the dark and brooding silence, <laughs> bruised in sullen storm clouds, have a light of day obscured. Yeah. Um... <laughs> You don't get more majestic than that unless you <coughs> swoop in on a goddamn robot unicorn with a rainbow coming out of your ass. That's pretty majestic. I mean, yeah. So, I mean, I'm not saying that Rush is the most majestic band ever because, obviously, we haven't gotten to a Dio track yet. <laughs> but, uh, you know, when you're talking about lyrics and you're talking about content in songs, there's a lot of songs that are popular or memorable because they speak about things that happened during the time that you're alive or that speak to a certain moment in history that speak to, you know, trends of the day that speak to whatever. The thing that makes this song in particular one of my favorites is the fact that, like the rest of this album, it's completely timeless. You can put it on in the day when it was released. You can put it on now. You can put it on 40 years from now. And this music is still going to stand on its own feet. Now, as Matt will probably argue, um, you know, who's going to be listening to this song in 40 years? I think a lot of people will because there's a substance lacking in most music now. And let's not forget that uh, human beings are probably going to live a lot longer 40 years from now. A lot of us will still be alive listening. So yeah, a lot of rock fans will still be listening to this record, but um, you know, I think the the bigger thing would be: can you introduce this to somebody who's not a Rush fan, who's never heard this kind of music, and would it stand up on its own? You know, obviously, a, a very anti-Rush person, um, you know, may have had a different experience with the band. Like this might not be their first experience. So like Jacob's Ladder would not be the way. They get into Rush. Yeah, your intro was probably Tom Sawyer exactly. or something like that. Yeah. But here, let's 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 address the uh, the elephant in the corner though. Uh, there's no getting around the timbre of uh, of Getty Lee's voice. It can be a make it or break it for some people. I don't feel like that's a valid. It's a, it's valid for making up your opinion of whether you can deal with the music or not. But it's not a valid position by which the music sucks or does not suck. I, for example, cannot stand Billy Corgan's voice, and it has harmed my ability to enjoy Smashing Pumpkins music. I don't like Kurt Cobain's voice, um, and that harmed my ability to enjoy Nirvana music. But going back at it years later and listening to it, you, you have to respect, or at least I have to respect some of what's in that music, even though those voices to me are just like, just nonsense. It's not something I want to hear ever. No, that shit so. sucks. <laughs> <laughs> See, I don't have to defend anybody else's shit. I'm here to defend Prague. So your, well, your fucking alt-rock indie bullshit can go take a flying jump. 
Well, this, maybe this might be a good point here just to, to mention briefly our, our taste in music. So the, <laughs> the three of us, Chris, Aaron, and I, are in a uh, uh, ostensibly what started as a doom metal band called Parasynthian. And it has quickly uh, evolved into uh, more of a uh, power metal Universal band. Conquest metal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so our taste, our taste in music... Uh, differ somewhat significantly i think although we all share a love for metal um i matt also listen to a lot of indie rock uh which aaron and chris generally probably despise some of, some of that music we despise some of it we're totally down with actually that fucking shit sucks all right so some of that i don't despise aaron but, despises uh, all. <laughs> uh, on, on the same token aaron and chris are uh Generally, probably what you would consider to be professional musicians, and are far more talented musically than I am. So, their appreciation for music falls into what I sometimes uh, uh, describe as the masturbatory uh, realm of music. <laughs> where, uh, and I've been to uh, guitar virtuoso shows and experimental heavy metal jazz shows with them, which uh, I just do not understand whatsoever. But again, also <laughs> by I just don't appreciate the the talent that's involved. I think because I don't have it myself. So. Um, since this is also the first podcast, maybe, you know, Chris, Aaron, maybe you could just describe quickly or summarize quickly what you would consider falls into the genre of prog or what, what are some of the, the, the archetypes that are, are similar across the different sure. prog bands. Start out, Chris. So, uh, the, uh, the, one of the prime examples would be the second song that we may or may not get to in this episode. Um, and I don't want to, I don't want to admit what that one is. I'm assuming you know what that one is, the second set of lyrics, Aaron. So I'll, I'll omit a, a glaring example. But so I'll start off, I'll say, yes is a great example of <clears throat> prog rock early on, before it was even considered to be its own thing. Um, so basically you're listening to, you're thinking like, Late 60s is the very beginning, um, and then uh, on through the 70s, it got really uh, dense during the 70s and then the 80s, and then it branches off, um, kind of at rush seems to be like one of the pivot points where bands branched off into either more technical all around or more technical on specific instruments, um, and some of that music does get, does legitimately fall under the category you're naming the masturbatory uh, you know, instrumentalist kind of thing where the vocals are just there as like killing time before in between solos. And those wouldn't be songs that we would use as our examples most times. But uh, I think uh, getting back to examples, Rush is obviously a big one. Um, what, what would you branch off to in the 70s? I guess UK and a lot of the jazz fusion acts um, would Missing be great persons. ones. Missing Persons, uh, Soft um, Machine. Could I be. would go... Yeah, I would, I would have to go pre that in the 70s. You're talking like Gentle Giant. And Genesis, let's not forget. Genesis, Genesis absolutely. Wow. And we're not talking about the Phil Collins vocal era Genesis, although that's got its, its own positives and negatives. It's, that's not progressive really at all. Um, you know, and then like uh, I would even say, you know, you could make the argument that some of the new wave British heavy metal was progressive in its own right. Like I would say are, Iron Maiden is almost as progressive as, as Rush Maiden. at times. Yeah, exactly. So, for sure. There's prog elements to Marillion, for sure. And I would say, and you got to also uh, point out here for, for our one listener, that uh, Matt is an unabashed Iron Maiden fan. So it's like you can, it's going to be difficult for you to say you hate all prog because, I mean, there's plenty of progressive moments. And they have fucking songs about 
Alexander the Great and the loneliness of the long distance runner, and, and I mean, and the movie Dune. Come on, like, <laughs> so, and you, so it's going to be right. difficult for us to be nerds and you not to be a nerd. I'm sorry to say. Right, and I think if you looked at the three of us, though, you would say you'd point to me and say big nerd. You point to Aaron, you'd say bigger nerd. You point to Matt and say I'm not sure. So he tries <laughs> to hide his nerd. So it depends. Go ahead. I, I geek out in other ways. I think. Uh, and I guess you know. Yeah, obviously I love Iron Maiden. I'm a huge heavy metal fan, and Iron Maiden, obviously. I'm going to pour us more beer. Keep going. Uh, a, a huge uh, heavy metal stalwart. Uh, I think the thing that's always been difficult uh, for me with Prague is that it's music that, when you first listen to it, you think is uh, a joke. <laughs> and I think most of these bands don't consider themselves to have much of a sense of humor at all. See, okay, we, need, we, you, we, we need to pause there for one second. I know you hold that thought. This is relevant. This is, you better be, this better be earth shattering <laughs> to interrupt me. Would you, <laughs> would, would you hear the song that you just heard and say, that was a joke? Yes. Okay, interesting. Okay. Okay. That's what I need to find out. No, to me, I, like, Your Honor. that's where you get into like power metal and how can you say, it's like, you listen to prog lyrics, you're like, oh, this song has to be a joke. But then you listen to Manowar. Yeah, well, I, like, I have no love. For, I have no love for Manowar either. Like, well, I, I view Manowar as a joke. Like I view Candlemass as a joke. You know, it's like they take themselves seriously, but nobody who listens to them could possibly take them seriously. That's actually not true. You haven't been to a Manowar show. <laughs> right, yeah. Plenty of people. Or take I was going to say, seriously. even you know, to to get back in the the more prog territory and not pick on power metal people, uh, Hawkwind. You know, like <laughs> that. Quick aside, this has very little to do with the actual music of Hawkwind and more about experiences while listening to it. But, um, you know, there, there was a time in my life where, you know, you'd go over to your buddy Toad's house and he'd be <laughs> laying on the floor after he just dropped two lids, spraying the ceiling with bleach and, you know, like glow stick crystals, and Hawkwind is just blaring. And you just look at him and you're like, Toad, what the hell are you doing? He's like, man, I'm painting galaxies. <laughs> so Wait, this is supposed to have happened to us? This actually did happen. <laughs> no, I don't know if it happened to you, but this happened to me. And so, yeah, like, Prague is kind of a gateway into places in your mind you don't really want to accept exist. <laughs> <laughs> and so that is why I will give Jacob Ladder two thumbs up for transporting you out of your pathetic day-to-day -day existence in taking you to a magical land of sin these, and these are, madness. These are a lot of the same arguments I've heard from people who defend jam bands, uh, which I also can't stand. That's funny. I could actually deal with jam bands, too. I hate jam bands. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I'm turned off by jam bands primarily because of their fans, I think. Right. Uh, and a good reason to hate Rush, too. <laughs> right, and that, I mean that's that's part of the reason I dislike Rush. So, the problems I had with the song, I actually don't mind the lyrics. I think the lyrics are pretty decent, especially for a Rush song. These are uh, a little more out there. I, I, I would have to say these are not far off from Parasynthian lyrics. Uh, we aspire to this level of lyrical mastery. I will not go there. My lyrics are way better than the first. <laughs> uh, the problems I have with with Rush, I can, you're right. I can't stand Geddy Lee's voice. Uh, I understand, but as a heavy metal fan, there's a lot of bands with horrible, horrible vocalists, and it, it, a lot of times people cannot get into heavy metal. To because me, of the all vocals. of black metal is that way too. I like a lot of black metal. I'm a big fan of the band Bethlehem, which has 
the most bizarre vocalist who probably ever walked the earth. And that's actually endearing to me, but a lot of metal fans can't stand listening to them. And Like Chris said, he doesn't like black metal because of vocals. But even if I look past Geddy Lee's voice, this song, to me, loses all credibility with the, the synth uh, that comes in the middle, the kind of like the dream sequence breakdown <laughs> in the middle of the song. Understanding that this synth technology was probably the apex uh, of 1982 yeah, or whatever un- it was Unquestionably. And, but it's, it's, when Aaron says this song will stand the test of time for another 40 years, I, I laugh at the dated synth tones the moment they came on because this sounds like it comes from a fairy tale movie that would be just low budget, you know, this is the crappy. What do you got against Willow, man? (laughs) Yeah, but you know, I look at like some of the movies that I liked back then, like even Star Wars special effects are dated by today's standards. That's why they keep on remaking that crap. But, you know, what's, what else is funny is all of those analog synth sounds right now are, like, crazy desirable. Right. You can't sell a keyboard that doesn't have those kinds of sounds in it right now. And, but, but and, and fun, amusingly enough, it's they're primarily used in the indie bands that Aaron can't stand and you, and you enjoy. So the same reason you hate on the keyboard sounds in this band, you don't mind the keyboard sounds in other bands that are using the exact same tones. The right. Odyssey right. using... And a lot, of, and a lot of those tones are used now. Of this like hipster nostalgia too, where you know they're trying to get back to like Rush. <laughs> trying to get back to skinny ties and beards. Oh wait. Well, that's Rush the thing. There's that. probably are a lot of indie bands that would claim that that they like Rush, and they would be saying so. I think ironically, uh, because I, I think there's a lot of indie bands that just you know they don't listen to. I'm positive you're correct. I'm positive you're correct. They would all, you know, list like Marvin Gaye and like right, yeah. James Brown, and it's all bullshit. None of these I guys really know anything about anything. I really love David Byrne, man. Like, <laughs> constantly. Public Image Limited is kind of all I listen to. Exactly. And, and then maybe some dirty, rotten imbeciles, because I'm hardcore. Fucking mainstream thing. <laughs> I love the beta band. Uh, but I think the problem I had with this song in particular is they were using those podcast degenerated into smash indie <laughs> they're using those synth tones to evoke like this otherworldly uh emotion i guess and kind of just break the song down and build it back up and then that synth tone kind of remains for the rest of the song and there's distorted vocals that are kind of in that synth tone and dated or not i think it's kind of just a cheesy effect to throw in there to attain more mysticalness i think in the <laughs> song <laughs> Then, nice word. You know, obviously they're going for an effect here. They're trying to, you know, show some sort of aesthetic about you know the clouds and you know being in outer space and things like that. But I think, I think you know, it, it's taking, you know, probably technical music and layering on this cheap effect that kind of I think takes away from what probably is you know good musicianship and decent arrangement. Now, in the same vein. When you look at songs that were written in the seventies, that may have used that kind of of synth, but with a different kind of production, like a lower quality production than you're you're hearing on permanent ways. Like if you were to say, like you listen to like Heady, or Foghat, or you know a, a a classic rock band that's more straight ahead, not necessarily prog, where it's like, okay, I'm I'm just throwing this sound out there because that's where it's at, you know. Is that more acceptable in that kind of music? Like, would that work more with Deep Purple than it does with Rush, as far as your ears? I think it does work better in Deep Purple, because Deep Purple is more of just like a stoner rock band. And 
Rush, I think, is trying to be more heady than that. Uh, but then again, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I don't have a deep working knowledge of classic rock either. They're too smart for their synths. <laughs> I think you should, you should be also be aware of that. Like, I would bet that if Getty Lee were sitting in this room right now, when you said that that was cheesy keyboards and cheesy vocal effects, he would have laughed and totally agreed with you. Yeah. Because it just the style, like the, the processing of the day, you know, the things that we can do now that we're all so used to that we take for granted sonic, you know, sound wise, um, just weren't possible back then. This this album was almost certainly recorded analog, and it was it was all you know all real time. Do you think he processing. thought that way at the time? There was no. That's like saying like in medieval times. Do you think they knew that they shouldn't wipe their hand their asses with their hands and like not wash their hands? Like they don't have any fucking clue because they don't know what the technology right, is going to be like. People in the weren't wiping their ass to make an artistic statement. So either. actually, I wouldn't be so <laughs> sure about that. If you looked into cave paintings too closely, no, I I I actually think that. You can't predict what technology is going to be unless that's your field, and potentially you have the ability to do it. But these guys were just big partying rockers, basically. I mean, you don't want to believe it because of what their fans are like and how everybody's got a protractor in his pocket. But uh, but these guys were like a straight up like hard, you know, in, intense rocking band back in the in the day. Right. But uh, so yeah, I, I think they he would agree with you that that it's cheesy. I think that the Rush fan, on average, takes himself way too seriously. But I guarantee you, Rush doesn't take themselves seriously. Now, they're, they're, they stand behind their lyrics, I'm sure. Neil Peart writes pretty much all the lyrics, save maybe four or five songs from Rush. You no, know, it's, been, it's been probably 40 years since the other two guys in the band have written lyrics or right. anything. So, and, and Neil Peart is that headspace kind of big thinker, kind of Ayn Rand, like, nut job. But, I mean, that's, that's, that's who he is, you know? I'm, I'm sure the professor appreciates you talking about him in such a <laughs> well, great light. This is who Neil, he is. Neil, if you're listening to this podcast, cheers, brother. <laughs> That's all, all right, well, we're going to try and keep these podcasts to about this length, so I think we'll just try to wrap it up real quick. But Chris and Aaron, if you want to tell me why you think this song is worth buying, why this is a good prog song uh, that you know people should be listening to, just a few words. Uh, all right, I'll go first here. Um, I'm, I'm assuming that anybody who's taken the time to listen to us blather about Prague music. You probably already are in one camp or another. So some some nerds are are sitting on their like a thousand dollar ass cradle Aaron chair and saying hell yes to everything that Aaron and I are saying. And the bunch of hipsters are sitting in their like milk crates in front of their eight thousand dollar multi display Macintosh bullshit and and uh, talking about how much we don't know what we're talking about. But the bottom line is, um, I think as a as a composition. It's, a, it's really interesting. It's really multifaceted. There's a lot of melodies going on, a lot of themes going on, all of which are memorable, all of which I think are, personally are, are catchy without being sappy and, and, uh, and generic and, and cheesy, in my opinion. The, I'm not talking about the cheesy vocal effects. So I think as a composition, it stands on its own, and I think the, the lyrics are interesting, the, the melodies that the lyrics are sung with, even though Getty Lee is singing them, sorry, Getty, um, are, are awesome. So I think what it is kind of stands on its own as a, as a composition. And I would have been proud to write it. I would have been crazy proud to write it. So go ahead. All I got to say about it, can your band play it? <laughs> Probably not. Because your band sucks compared to Rush. Back to you, Matt. <laughs> well, uh, our band probably could play it. I probably couldn't play the bass parts of it without a lot of practice, but I'm sure Aaron and Chris could handle it pretty well. And I would you don't be, want us to prove it. I would be uh, uh, pretty pissed off if I was forced to learn this song. <laughs> so I'm hoping we don't cover this. But 
<laughs> to me, obviously, it's our first podcast. I haven't heard a ton of Rush. This sounds to me like every other Rush song I've heard. Uh, <laughs> I can't say I enjoyed it, although this is probably better than you know the more typical radio-friendly Rush songs I've heard, which I just utterly can't stand. So uh, I'm not going to buy this song, but it is better than uh, what I was expecting you guys to break out. So. Uh, well, I feel like that's the, the I feel like that's one little victory when yeah. you say <laughs> really? high five. One little victory! Wow, there's some rush nerd who just jumped out of his chair like I can't believe he said that. So, so. all right, I guess a uh, minor victory for uh, Chris and Aaron in this uh, first round, and uh, hopefully we'll have some more podcasts of this uh, down the line. Dude, don't worry, we have so much worse prog to break out for you. It's, it's gonna be. Yeah, we were minutes. afraid to pull out some of the things. General Giant is gonna. We're gonna have to leave the building. No, he'll be fine. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot for listening. If uh, if you listened, I'm sorry, and uh, we'll talk. We'll catch you guys in the Stay next one. Stay tuned for episode two in 38 seconds. <laughs>